0: Our scripture this morning is the Gospel of John, chapter 1, a passage that we're probably all very much familiar with, and perhaps this morning we can read that responsibly. And for those who aren't familiar with that term, I didn't say responsibly. I trust we'll all read responsibly, but uh, responsibly. <clears throat> I'll read the first verse, you read the second. Some of us come from traditions that practice that, and it's just great to read the word together. John, chapter 1. John writes, and speaking of Jesus in this passage, in the beginning, there was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made by Him, and nothing was made without Him. In Him there was life, and that life was the light of all people. Can you read that verse again. In Him there was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overpowered it. Verse 10. The word was in the world, and the world was made by him, but the world did not know him. He came to the world that was his own, but his own people did not accept him. But to all who did accept him and believe in him, he gave the right to become children of God. Verse 14. The word became a human and lived among us. We saw his glory, the glory that belongs to the only Son of the Father, and he was full of grace and truth. Because he was full of grace and truth, from him we all received one gift after another. Well, last Sunday, for those who were here, we spoke about uh, the Advent season. We were in the second Sunday of Advent, begun it last week. Advent simply means arrival, and it is a season in the Christian tradition that encourages believers to wait for the Lord, to watch for his coming. It's a season of reflection to examine our hearts and whether or not we truly understand or remind ourselves of the significance of what the Christmas season represents. It's not about Jesus came on the 25th. We don't know that. Frankly, it doesn't matter. What Christmas is is a celebration of the fact that Jesus came. That's what it's all about. You can celebrate it in June when the sales are on, whatever you wanna do, but the fact is, we celebrate that God became flesh, he came into this world, and we take December 25th in that season to do so. But in the season leading up to Christmas, what we were doing is reminding ourselves how important it is for us to wait once again on the Lord, to anticipate the things that he has come to do, and to ask ourselves whether or not we are seeing those things happen in our lives. And I believe one of the reasons why many believers over a period of years perhaps begin to lose the real wonder and the beauty of who Jesus is is because we stopped really anticipating the fullness of what it is he wants to bring to our lives. We, we stop appreciating the fact that until we draw our last breath, he wants to regularly bring us from freedom to freedom, from revelation to revelation, from strength to strength. It's never intended to get old and stale. So, Christmas is a season of anticipation. Think of how you feel when the Christmas season is approaching, right? You see all those little gifts nestled under the tree. Now, for those of us who are older, you probably realize it's probably just socks and things that you really, really need. But, you know, if nothing else, you're anticipating the children open your gifts or their grandchildren. So there's that season of anticipation, anticipating perhaps loved ones who live far away or are coming home for the, for the Christmas season. A lot of things that we, that we anticipate over the holiday season. But anticipation is not just wishful thinking. Anticipation is actually a confidence. It's knowing something. And it's the confidence that actually fuels our watching and waiting. It's, it's, it's what really sharpens our spiritual senses to be longing for once again, anticipating the ways that Jesus comes to our lives, the new ways, the surprising ways, the new things and places that he comes into our lives. Again, it's a season to remind ourselves that if anything in our walk with Christ has become predictable, if it's become ordinary, if it's become repetitive, then the fault lies with us. We've lost the wonder. We've lost the anticipation. We've lost the understanding that Jesus wants to be fresh and real to us in our walk with him each day. John says in verse 16 that Jesus came to us full of grace. Another translation says full of loving forgiveness. Isn't it amazing? When you think of the darkness and depravity into which Jesus came, he didn't come as many expected, hurling lightning bolts and just ready to fry everybody and destroy the rebellious people. He came full of loving kindness. And he came full of truth, the Bible says. And from him, we all received one gift after another. But the truth, the simple truth that I really want us to lay hold of this morning is that Jesus really can only work in the life of the person who actually unwraps the gifts that he brings to us. That doesn't just see them, doesn't just acknowledge that he came or came to do certain things, but actually understand that Jesus came to me. He came to you. And as John says, he came bringing one gift after another. And my question is this morning, are we unwrapping that which the Lord brings to us? Now, we know that Christmas we uh, celebrate by giving gifts, unwrapping gifts, because, of course, it, it symbolizes the incredibly lavish gifts that God has given to us, beginning, of course, with his son Jesus. John says in verse 14 that God became a human in the person of Jesus, and he lived among us for a specific purpose. So there's a reason why he came, and I want you to ask yourself this morning whether or not that's something that has happened in your life or whether it's something, too, that the Lord maybe is ministering through your life. But why did God come into this world in the person of Jesus Christ? Well, he came to encounter us in our sin. He came to rescue us. He came to show us who God really is, what he is like. And just as importantly, he came to show us everything that we were created for. And why is that important? Hear me, friends. When you understand what you've been created for, that has an incredible power to cut away all the clutter in your life. And to actually get you focused on the things that really are worthy of your time and your energy. One of the reasons why as believers we get our lives so cluttered is because we've lost our purpose. We've lost our understanding of really who Jesus is and the difference that he makes. I don't know if we can sing it on on Christmas Eve, Pastor Kristen. And I know it's an old song. He loves old songs, by the way. I'm not picking on him. But it's just kind of like this old anthem song written by a, a pastor I admire. But it's simply called, The Light Has Come. And it's just this anthem, and it declares the light has come, and the darkness will never be the same again. Hallelujah. That's what Jesus has done. And we forget how dark the world was before Jesus came. We forget that, that at zero, you know, the year zero, you might say, it began with Christ. The incredible shift that took place in the universe took place in the whole world. We forget that sometimes. And yet that's what the Lord has done to bring light into the darkness. So when we really realize once again what we've been created for, we're able to zero in and focus our lives on the things that really matter. But Jesus not only came to reveal God the Father to us, he also came to show us that God's greatest achievement in the world happened through the frailty of a human being empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what he wants to show us as well. Not only what he has done for us, but who we become because of Christ in us and what he wants to flow through us. I believe it was C.S. Lewis who said many years ago, he said, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. Isn't that powerful? I'll say it again. The Son of God became a man so that we as men and women could become the sons and daughters of God. That's exactly what he did in coming to us. It's through the baptism of the Holy Spirit that God assures us, his people, that we have received power. And it's not just power to live a religious life. It's not just a power to live a certain lifestyle. We have been given power by the Holy Spirit to actually penetrate a lost, blind, and paganized world with the same truth that Jesus brought with the same miracle power to follow the teaching and the preaching of his word. That's what he has done for us, the gifts he has given to us. And I don't know about you, but that gives me a lot of hope that God can actually use little old me to express a little bit of his life and of his light. That's what the Lord can do through each of us. He desires to. There's an interesting study back in 2003 by the Barna Group. Uh, the Barna Group is simply a Christian organization, a research organization, and it reported this. Only 9% of professing Christians have a biblical worldview. That was in 2003. Don't know if that's increased or decreased. In other words, only 9% of Christians base their thoughts and decisions on God's Word. Only 9% actually live their lives in response to the truth of God's word as they're being led by the Holy Spirit. He writes this. Most believers have little idea how to integrate core biblical principles to form a unified and meaningful response to the challenges and opportunities of life. Do you think that's an exaggeration? I think it's probably spot on for much of the Western church. Very few believers actually know how to take the truth, what they profess to believe, and integrate it in their life that actually makes a difference, other than embracing certain do's and don'ts. But that's about it. He says, basically, the common worldview held by Christians is summed up in the last few verses of the book of Judges where it says this. In those days, there was no king. Everyone did what seemed right in their own eyes. Werner coined the phrase, notional Christians, notional Christians. He goes on to say, it describes people who have the notion that they are a Christian, but in their day-to-day life, you might say, there's no king. There really is no Lord. There's just this notion that I'm a Christian. John writes in verse one, in the beginning was the word. Speaking about Jesus, Jesus. The same wording as in Genesis 1 and 1, the first book of the Bible. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created. Why, why that connection? I might be reading into it, but I believe it's for two simple reasons. First of all, what John wants us to see here is that the incarnation of Jesus Christ, just like when God spoke the worlds into being, the actual incarnation of Jesus Christ had cosmic consequences. It wasn't just a little story in Bethlehem. It wasn't even limited to this earth. The entire realm that was affected by sin, Jesus came to set it free. Jesus came to set it right. But just as important, I believe, what he's saying is that just as God God the Father formed a complete creation from nothing by the power of his spoken word, he says, so through Jesus Christ, the living word, he is able to complete what he has spoken into you. He is able to do what he says he will do in your life. He is able to bring your life, the things of your life, that maybe at one time were spiraling out of control. He's able to bring everything into its orbit. Everything into its proper place and balance. That's what the Lord intends for every single one of us. We'll see how in just a moment. Paul said in Ephesians 2, we are God's what? Masterpiece. Tell the person beside you, you are a work of art. And I hope he didn't say you're a piece of work. (laughs) Okay, you are a work of art. It's really hard to compliment your, your neighbor, isn't it? He says, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So we can do the good things that he planned for us a long time ago. He has made us brand new. He has made us a brand new creation. He has brought his life in us that becomes light to us why so we can actually give us a purpose that will flush out all the clutter and all the garbage and make everything new clear your vision give you an understanding of what really is important what matters what to go after what to pursue what actually brings fulfillment in your life he opens our eyes to god's glorious glorious purposes He's saying that as I walk in those things that he has planned for me, you know what happens? Jesus actually becomes increasingly incarnated in us. I hear people saying, well meaning Christians, and I know they're saying it and maybe think they're being humble, but they're just wrong. They're just kind of like, well, can you really be like Jesus? Jesus was perfect. Jesus didn't sin. Let me let you know the secret. This is radical. But you don't have to sin realize that? None of us here this morning, filled with the Holy Spirit, born again of the Spirit of God, no longer dominated by the flesh. We don't have to sin. Now, John says, if for some weird, unexplainable reason you do sin, okay, confess your sin. God will cleanse you, but then keep walking without sin. It doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. Mistakes and sin is not the same thing, unknowingly doing something wrong. But we have the power to actually resist temptation. We have the power to walk in the truth that the Lord reveals to us. Anyway, that's, that's for free, but just give us some thought. John goes on to write that nothing exists that Jesus did not make. He says, in him there was life, and that life was the light of all people. What he's saying is the way that God works in your life and mine basically is the same as the way that Jesus shaped the world. He said, In the beginning, God. What's he saying? He's saying, From out of the realm of the Spirit, from out of that realm, that God creates this new realm that we know as time and space. Now, one day, this realm of time and space is not going to exist as we know it. But in the meantime, what is God doing? Just as in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and all that was in it, now through Jesus Christ, the word of God come to us. God is creating in this time and space. He is creating a people. He is rising up and transforming and creating a people of God. Verse 12, to all who did accept him and believe in him, he gave the right. Another translation, he gave the power to become the children of God. Are you starting to catch on this morning? That's what he came to do. He didn't come to just bring us a nice Christmas story. The Christmas story is beautiful because it involves the miracle transformation of a people who long lay in sin and error pining. That's kind of old phrase. I know, what's well, pining? <laughs> Don't, go ask your mother. But we forget how dark the world was, even how dark our hearts were before we met Christ. The Lord has come to bring that transformation and to turn us into actual children of God. Jesus, the son of God, became a man that we might become sons and daughters. That's the miracle of the story. The Bible even says in Romans chapter 8, verse 21, that creation itself is longing for the day when it will experience the wonderful freedom from sin that God's children are already enjoying. And we can enjoy that, but creation itself is longing for that same day. That's why I believe the Advent season is so important. It's a season to reflect and to ask myself: Have I lost the wonder of Jesus in my life? Have I lost the anticipation of Him bringing me from freedom to freedom to freedom in fresh new ways? If there's anything else I think about during this Advent season, I want to encourage you: Just take time and reflect, and saying, "Lord." Am I still captivated by you? Am I still anticipating the new things that you want to do in my life? You see, I believe that all of us are probably familiar with the principles of God's word. But that same word that is filled with life and light, John says, it has no power. As powerful as it is in itself, It has no power in me unless I welcome it, unless I water it with meditation, reflection, with prayer, unless I weed out of my life through Christian disciplines, biblical disciplines, those things that want to suffocate the word. If I don't do that, as powerful as that word is, it will have no power in my life. It will not reflect the life of Christ in me, the light of the Lord in me. The incarnation of Jesus, God becoming one of us, says in no uncertain terms that God did not come that I might embrace the philosophy. He said, I've done what I've done, that you might embrace the person, that you would know me. I bumped into someone in the church just the other day when I was moving my mother into the apartment. He said, Pastor... He said, I find that when I concentrate on an area that the Holy Spirit is speaking to me about, he changes me. That's pretty beautiful. That's pretty profound. Let me say it again. When I actually concentrate on the area I know the Lord is speaking to me about, I actually experience change and growth and freedom. Jesus works most powerfully in the person who anticipates him coming and then embraces his word to them. John said, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overpowered it. Hear me, friends, the darkness can never overpower the light. Now, I know that's a great shouting point and it's absolutely true. And yet the Lord will never extinguish the darkness in my life if I am indifferent to his light. If I'm apathetic about his word to me. As powerful as that word is, it's almost like the the word of God comes to me and it's just hovering there. It's just buzzing. It's just full of power. It's vibrating. It's waiting to get into my life. But if I choose to stay in the darkness, it will stay there. But when I say, Lord, I welcome, I embrace your word to me, then his word comes in power. His word is full of living power. But I have to embrace it, not just acknowledge it, Embrace it and walk in it. You see, the life of Jesus is so much more than just salvation from hell, as incredible as that is. John says that God's life in me becomes light to me. What he's saying is that as I daily open my heart to Jesus, then his life actually becomes the light by which I walk that keeps him fresh in my life. His life comes to me it becomes light to me because the Lord never intended me, and I say it a million times, but he never intended me to embrace a lifestyle, but to embrace him. And when I embrace his life, then that life begins to radiate and I begin to see and I begin to walk in everything that it is to walk in light. Another translation says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. You see, what Jesus can do in your life when you embrace his word to you, it is actually not only amazing to you. You ever had that experience? Where you've just taken the Lord at his word, you've walked in what he's spoken to you, and you've just been amazed by what he's done or what he's shown you. But But John says it's not only amazing to you, it is absolutely confounding to the powers of darkness. What the enemy sees God do in your life totally confuses them. And yet until I mature in my faith to the point of welcoming and walking in God's word to me, I'm always going to receive God's word with an attitude that either says, I'm not doing that or it doesn't make sense to me. Jesus says our greatest witness is not our words. Our greatest witness is the people of God is living a life that gives evidence to the fact as John says, that of his fullness I have received. One gift after another. That's what the Lord wants people to see through my life. I believe the darkness that I tolerate in me will always resist the entrance of the light that Jesus brings. But David said in Psalm 48, he said, Lord, I want to do what you want. And friends, if that's your heart, Lord, that my heart is to do your will my heart is to do what you want, then I promise you that every time you welcome Jesus into your heart, every time you welcome him with anticipation into that new area, that new word, that new act of obedience, that new area of trust, of ministry, whatever it may be, what does he do? Every time he comes, he dispels just a bit more of the darkness in that area. He just chases more darkness away. Or by the light of his truth, he illuminates a lie. So, whoa, I can't believe I believe that. I don't believe that anymore. I'm walking in truth in this area and he brings me from strength to strength, from in ever-increasing brightness. John says in verse 12, to all who accept him and believe in him, he gave the right to become the children of God. I'm gonna ask you musicians to join me as we share around the Lord's table in just a moment. But read that verse with me, verse 12. To all who did accept him and believe in him, He gave the right to become the children of God. That word accept literally means to take. All who accept him. What's he saying? Not just acknowledge him. To all who seize him. To all who will not let him go. Who hold on to the word that he speaks to them. He says they become the children of God. If you ever stood at the altar to be married... I do very much that you stood across from that person and said, I promise to put up with you. Now, you may be living in that now. Hey, I'm, I'm you know, too much years have gone by. I'm going to stick this out. That's my way of, we all have different love language, right? We don't say that. We don't say to the person that I promise to acknowledge in public that, you know, you're my spouse. We say, I take you to be my spouse. What are you saying? You're saying, I want this person. I want to declare to everyone, number one, I'm off the market. (laughs) I'm definitely off the market now. (laughs) But also, you're saying to that person, I am incomplete without you. That's why I'm standing here today in front of all these witnesses. And friends, that's what it means to accept Jesus into your life. It means to take Jesus and forsaking all others, to grow in the wonder of who Jesus is, to grow in the wonder of the light and the life that he brings. And I wanna ask us this morning, this Advent season, have you lost the shine in your relationship with Jesus, have you lost that sense of wonder? I mean, it's just like life. We know even in marriage, as wonderful as your marriage may be, there's ups and downs and wonderful seasons, dry seasons. That's part of life. That's part of shaping and growing and maturing. But there still ought to be a sense in our heart that, Lord, I want to receive your fullness. I want to receive gift upon gift upon gift. Lord, I want that wonder of just you coming to me in new ways. Lord, I want there to be always that sense of anticipation in my heart, in my walk with you. There ought to be something that says, Lord, what are we working on today? Lord, how are you going to surprise me today? What's something you're going to show me when I open your word as I move through the marketplace? What's one way, Lord, that you're going to show your glory again? You're going to show your grace and your truth and your loving kindness. And Advent reminds us that if that's not our disposition, we just kind of need to take some time before the Lord and say, Lord, would you just restore, restore the joy of your salvation to my life? Lord, I want to live by joy. That's what the Christmas season is all about, right? Wonderful joy, right? And joy is not an empty emotion. Joy is actually, Nehemiah says, joy is actually a strength to you. You experience that? When you've got joy, you've just got this strength. When you've got purpose, all the clutter gets flushed away. And you begin to give yourself to really what matters. Thanks for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to get the sermon as soon as it's released. If you have any questions or want to get connected, go to gtmoncton.com. For live streams and other videos, check out the GT Moncton YouTube channel and follow us on social media at GT Moncton to stay up to date on what's going on. God bless.